Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Ooh, my name is Marlon. I'm an alcoholic. Oh, God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Can we give Sabrina another hand? That was a a lot for 10 minutes. That was an awful lot. And uh, I've known Sabrina since I was brand new. My sobriety date is 12-29-1992. Happy birthday, T. I just turned 26. If you're new, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, there are no strangers here, just friends you haven't met yet. And I'd like to tell you like they told me when I got here. This is not Burger King, and you can't have it your motherfucking way. <laughs> you know, uh... I'm scared it's going to get all over me. He already embarrassed me calling me Merlin. I'm just playing. <laughs> Marlon. I got a story about my name. It's kind of funny. So, you know, I'm born and raised in Venice, California. I'm the proud son of uh, two parents who shot dope for the first 15 years of my life. And that absolutely, absolutely has nothing to do with why I stand before you today. That dog, I got a dog like that at home. It's my grandmother's dog. I got a story f- for that, too, in recovery. <laughs> so, you know, uh, man, I started getting high when I was nine years old. You know, uh, my first drug was Coors, a Coors beer about that size. My grandmother used to play the horses. Uh, She'd be sitting at the table, and she'd be drinking Coors beer. It was a little Coors. You used to push a little button on the top of it. It would open up, you know, and uh, and my grandmother would let me drink beer with her. No problem. And it wasn't like I was guzzling it, but I was drinking beer. I don't know how the beer made me felt. I don't remember anything, but I remember drinking that beer. Uh, the first time I got high off anything uh, narcotic, uh, I was nine years old. Yellow zigzags, commercial weeds. My mom used to, I used to sift it for my mom. I used to sift that weed and, uh, <laughs> you know, in my house on the back of every spoon was black. You know, and, uh, so yeah, you know, right about now in 1992, I'm about seven days sober, right? Uh, I'm in my third rehab, and uh, my first rehab I was in, I was 19 years old, and uh, it was Exodus Recovery Program. I stayed in that program for 28 days, and I'm pretty sure in that 28 days they said, uh, when you get out of here, go to 90 meetings in 90 days and get a sponsor. And uh, I had no concept about this disease or this illness called alcoholism, uh, because in my household, no one ever said this thing was a disease. No one ever said this this was a problem. 
you know, it was just normal in my neighborhood. You know, I mean, the dope fiends, the alcoholics, it was it was normal. Everything I seen was just normal. And uh, I went through that rehab for 28 days. I got out and I was high on the 29th day. See, because I thought the rehab was going to do something for me to make me better. I couldn't see the illness. I wasn't ready for Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I got out of that rehab and uh, about six months later, I was in another rehab. And in that rehab, I met some people and those people stayed sober, man. And uh, Charles and Brenda, you know, for two years, these people called me, right? For two, who does that? <laughs> sober members of Alcoholics Anonymous called me checking up on me, making sure I was all right coming by to see me, buying me a beer, having a conversation with me, right? Looking back on this, it's kind of weird. Like, Charles would come by, and I was living in Century City, which is very different from the neighborhood I grew up in, and uh, he would ask me, how you doing? Well, see, I'm always doing good when things on the outside are looking great. I had this beautiful Greek girlfriend, and you could overlook, the, you know, we had a veranda, you could overlook the city. So everything on the outside looked great, but Charles could see within. See, they say this program, it's an inside job, and there's no way, there's no way that I could see what's going on inside of me, right, when I'm in the grips of the illness. There's no way. And, uh... Man, I went through the 92 riots. You guys heard about the L.A. riots. In the L.A. riots is when I found out I was an alcoholic. I used to always think that, you know, eh, I'm not no old alcoholic. We used to, we were breaking in these liquor stores at this time, and uh, that should have gave me a clue. <laughs> we break in these liquor stores, and the first thing I see is a, is a case of El Presidente Brandy. I know nothing about brandy because I'm an old English 800 drinker, Right. But this brandy, this case of brandy caught my eye. I grabbed a case of brandy, man, and I would be drinking that brandy every day. El Presidente Brandy, I'll never forget. So, you know, I got these brothers and these friends I grew up with. We were all uh, cocaine dealers. We all sold dope. You know, in my neighborhood, uh, I need to tell you, I snorted heroin when I was 10 years old. I started... Uh, snorting cocaine and smoking cocaine when I was 15. And uh, in my neighborhood, that seemed so normal back then. But everybody in my neighborhood about my age, this was before the time of, like, crack cocaine or ready rocks. You know what I mean? I'm part of that generation that first starts standing on those corners uh, delivering those rocks, shaking up that cocaine with that baking soda and listening for that ding. I'm part of that era as a young kid. You know, uh, that's the character that I brought into Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> so let's get back to rehab because I saw those vans pull up. <laughs> and, and if you're here and you're in rehab, that's, that's not the program of recovery. I didn't know that. I didn't know they were taking me to a place where the program of recovery was being worked by people, right? Where the principles were being applied by people. I was just getting in the van, going to meetings, back there tripping and thinking, right? I'd be in the back of a meeting, 21 years old, I'd be in Hawaii somewhere, right? <laughs> and I had no idea that it had anything to do with alcoholism, that my mind could take me anywhere it wanted to take me. But it wouldn't keep me in a place of healing. It wouldn't keep, my mind would never keep me in a place of like wanting to get better, 
I was at a place where I needed to listen to somebody who had been through what I had been through, but I wouldn't listen. I was so much in judgment. You know how they say relate to the feelings being shared? Man, I just couldn't hear, right? Even though I grew up in a city with black, white, Hispanic people, uh, when I got sober, we're going to these meetings with all these white people, and, and I would tell a counselor, I need to go to some black meetings. He said, you do, huh? <laughs> so he had a guy come pick me up. I got I got sober on the shoulder of giants, man. These guys that got me sober were giants. And Sam Hanna came and picked me up. He took me to a meeting in, in, in South Central L.A. And on the way back, he's driving, and he's like, how did you like that meeting, Marlon? I said, there's too many black people at that meeting. <laughs> But see, still not recognizing that the, the disease of alcoholism, still not recognizing it because I think it's the bottle, right? I think it's the alcohol. I don't know it's me. I don't know that I am the disease. I am the illness, right? It has nothing to do with alcohol. Alcohol was treating my illness. I have no idea, right? Charles and Brenda keep calling me. Charles, I'm, I'm like messed up. Charles calls me one day and he said, how you doing? I just broke down and started crying, man. What happened is I started to have some experiences because I had been here and I had heard some things, right? <coughs> One night I'm with my buddy who just got out of the desert storm, man, and I, you know, I go and I cop some uh, narcotics. And we're driving and I pull over and the police go by me and I pull out. I make a left turn. I take a hit. Boo! The lights go on. I take off, right? I'm being chased by the police. I got a pipe in his hand, a lighter in his hand, and I'm smoking cocaine. And my mind goes, this is the physical allergy talking about in the program. All right, this is some, you can't make this shit up. I'm driving, and the police are behind me, and I will not stop until all the narcotics are gone. This is the physical allergy. You see, I started to have an experience, and it was being revealed to me through my own consciousness. You guys have told me, you ain't got to keep going that way. It's not the yets, it's the agains. I heard it all in these meetings, man, but it started to become my reality, you know, especially when I went to jail. Now, I'm not a going to jail type of guy. I went into the county jail, and uh, where I'm from, there are a bunch of people in the county jail. Uh, and I remember going there, and I didn't smoke cigarettes at this time, and I'm in the jail, and this guy's like, you want a cigarette? And I'm like, yeah, give me a cigarette. And he uh, he gives me a cigarette. He's got a pencil lead, some toilet paper. He sticks it in a socket, lights it, and lights a cigarette. I said, these motherfuckers in jail are like MacGyver. <laughs> They're incredible. All kind of little tricks like that go on in jails. They, they, they really smart. It's a trip. And, uh, and then after I smoked a cigarette, he looks at me and says, you know, I got some dope. I say, oh, no, I don't want none of that. That's what helped me to realize I'm a real one. I'm a real alcoholic. See, one is too many and a thousand is not enough. How am I going to get out of here and get some more? That's what went through my mind. You know, I did what we do when we go to jail. I prayed, God, if you get me out of this one, all of a sudden I, I believe in this God y'all talking about. <laughs> God got me out of that. My buddy comes and picks me up, man. He's smoking an indica joint. The hand just goes like that, and my hand just, you see, I start to have an experience with being powerless. See, even though we admit, I got to admit I'm powerless. I have to admit that I'm powerless, right? Because my sponsor put it like this. He said, Marlon, if you don't go to work, 
Are we going to get fired or are you going to get fired? <laughs> See, these 12 steps are for me. I don't know if they're for you, right? I had to have an, an experience with being powerless, and I've had many of them, many of them. I went back into my last rehab, man, and, uh, oh, wait, my second rehab first. Let me, no, my, my last rehab I went into, and uh, I don't know what happened. Charles just said, either you go to meetings with me or you go back into rehab, and I went into rehab, and I was there for 28 days, and uh, I don't know what happened. Panels came in. People talked, right? And what I realized is that surrender is an unconscious act. It wasn't, it wasn't that I said, okay, I'm done. I'm not getting high anymore. It just happened. It was unconscious. I was tired, right? And I met some people. See, it was the people in Alcoholics Anonymous before it was a God for me. It was the people. It was human help. Now I'm talking about human help. I'm not talking about human power. I'm talking about human help, right? No human could relieve me of my alcoholism, but I got to have human help. These guys reached their hands out to me. They took me to meetings. We hung tight. Those were the days. So I'll tell this one story, then I'm going to get sober. I always tell this story around Christmas time when I'm talking at a meeting. You know, uh, I had this Santa Claus I made for my mother. And I would never, ever be able to tell this story if I had not gotten sober because consciously there's no way I can go back to that this day if I'm loaded. So I made this Santa for my mother. It was a beautiful Santa Claus. Had a white cotton beard, beautiful eyes, had the hat with the cotton on the tip of it. And uh, my mother put that Santa on the wall. I was so proud of like being able to make something for my mother like that. And I have a brother that's 10 months older than me. And uh, he'd be sitting right here and I'd be sitting right there. And my mother would be right here. And my mother would be reaching back, taking all the cotton off Santa's beard. <laughs> Resentment number one. <laughs> Resentment is, the, it, 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 it's, it's a tough thing, man. And, uh, have I had I not gotten sober and started to look within, I wouldn't even have known that was a resentment. See, it was a resentment against my mom, and my mom gave me many, many resentments. And those resentments hurt me. They hurt me. So I drank and used. And it cured the resentment problem for a lot of years. But when you come here, what happens is, you have to admit that you're powerless over drugs and alcohol and that your life is unmanageable. My life has always been unmanageable when I'm managing it. My life was manageable when my grandmother was raising me, getting me ready for school, right? Having lunch ready, having dinner ready, right? My grandmother was the first power and the first authority for my life. That's when my life was manageable. My grandmother was the first power in my life. She was a Buddhist. Now, I have a grandmother. My other grandmother on my uh, father's side was a Christian. Always had white Jesus in the mirror. And I'll never forget this day. I said, Granny, why you got that white Jesus in your mirror? <laughs> and she looked at me and said, that's just Jesus, baby. Simplicity. See, what we have here is principles. The ultimate principle being the principle of God. That's the ultimate principle that we practice here. The God consciousness. 
So what happened to me is I became a step guy. I became a guy that was sponsored by guys who always looked at the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous or always doing workshops, right? Or always teaching and preaching or always talking about reviewing, uh, all these things that I didn't think I was capable of because this brother I had was a genius. He was one of those kids that got straight A's all through high school, went off to a major university, graduated, you know, and got a bachelor of science degree and came back home, started selling crack with me. <laughs> Real smart guy. When I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I began to understand that I'm a smart guy too. I like to read. I had no idea. I had no idea. So I started going through these things called the 12 steps, right? And uh, I didn't know that I was a power and authority for my life for my whole life. I didn't know that I was making decisions based on self, which always put me in a predicament, which always got me in trouble. I had no idea that coming to believe in a power greater than myself, which restored me to sanity, uh, was something that I needed to do right now. See, I began to understand that step two was never completed in my life. I was sitting there in that seat coming to believe. When Sabrina talked, I was like, man, I got to back that up. You know, Sabrina, 30-some years sober, and my mind goes to time, right? It goes to, wow, but see, God don't have no watch. It's God's time right now. Like Sabrina said, this is as good as it gets. This is as good as it gets for a person like me and you, right? Right at this very moment. You hear that? That's the presence of God. There it is again. That's how simple this program is. I just couldn't grab it because I was thinking about it. I made a decision to turn my life and will over to the care of God as I understood God. And it's just understood from step two. That God is a power much greater than me. That's all I need to understand. It's just understood. That's what the step says, right? Understood. And I thought it always said understand. But I'm reading it in black and white. It's understood. <coughs> and I make this decision, man, and I do something that I've never done in my life. I begin this journey of what we call around here inventory. The real meat and potatoes of like what's going on with a guy like me. And, and, and God is so good. That in this process, I was in uh, therapy. I was in therapy for the first three years of my recovery. So I'm going to see a therapist, and I'm doing an inventory, and I'm doing a fifth step all at once before I even get to my sponsor. Let alone, I got this roommate who's 21 years old, and uh, we got sober together. My good friend John, and uh, we were crazy. We were crazy. Young in recovery, we'd be going to clubs, picking up drunk girls, you know what I mean? And we'd be looking at them. Uh-oh, she getting there, she's getting there. You can see them when you're sober. And uh, I remember, and it was always go to a meeting first, go to a meeting first, then go to a club, right? And that's what we would do. And one night on the way to a club, John's got this old 67 BW, and we rolling, we going to the club, and John looks over at me, and I look over at him, and we both doing inventory. PTS, tell me the sickest shit on your inventory right now. I'm going to tell you mine. Like, what? <laughs> and he tells me. And I'm like, whoa. You did that? And I tell him, I did that too. <laughs> Freedom. Right? 
that these are two heterosexual males, whew, when you on the influence of like drugs and alcohol, you do all kind of stuff. And it shows up on your inventory. Let's be honest. <laughs> Let's be honest here. And, uh, we didn't all get here being saints. I know I didn't. <laughs> but on that night, I realized that I could talk to another man. I could look another man in the face and I could be honest about what, what went on back there. Right? So we don't regret the past, nor would the, wish to shut the door on it. All these things became to, to be my reality. The, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous came alive in my life. So I do this inventory, right? Whew. I'm resentful at my mom. Right? The cause, because she shot dope for the first 15 years of my life. And how does it affect me? Well, it affect my self-esteem, right? Because first of all, I didn't have sex till I was 20. I was smoking cocaine before I had sex. I was drinking before I had sex. And I got these buddies that grew up, man, they was having sex when they was 12, 13, you know what I mean? And I had to lie. I had to always lie. <laughs> In fact, one of them is sober like 26 years, and he heard my story. He was like, what, you wasn't sleeping with those girls? I would be in the room with women having conversations. <laughs> I was scared to death, but I didn't want to tell nobody, right? Because I grew up with a mom, and I had seen her abused. I had seen men hurt her. I had seen these things, and, 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 and I had a conscious. Whew. So it affected my self-esteem, my personal ambition, right? These are things that are going on inside of me. You new people, you hear about the inside job, but nobody tells you that when you're doing inventory, and you begin to look within yourself, Right? Because this power is starting to really flow through you. This power that you found in Alcoholics Anonymous is working on you. It's working with you. And I began to see these things. But what I also began to see is that what is my part in it? What is my part? Here I am, 24 years old, still hating my mom for the way she raised me. And I realize that it's a spiritual action, right? Whenever I'm disturbed, if I have a bad thought about anybody in this room, it affects me. It hurts me because you don't even know I'm thinking bad about you. And it affects me in a way that I just can't handle it as an alcoholic. Right? And I try to treat that bad feeling I have about you. You know what they say around here? It's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die from it. It just doesn't happen that way. So I do this inventory, man. I sit down with this sponsor, and my sponsor's name, they recording this, right? My sponsor's name is Anderson Broussard III. <laughs> and uh, I remember Anderson sitting down with me for this three-hour session of talking, and, uh, man, and me telling him all these things, and him sitting there going, me too, me too. And it felt like somebody stuck a spout in my side and all this gook was just coming out. I was just letting Anderson have all of it, right? Everything that I could remember consciously that happened to me, all right, or that I had done since I was a kid. And it turned into this conversation of men where, where, where I felt the presence of something. And I wasn't calling God God then, but there was something there that was much more powerful than me. Because I was being honest with myself and another human being for the first time in my life. Step five is a beautiful step. Church folks call it confession. I had no idea confession freed you so much. An honest confession is, is, is a sense of freedom. 
I had never felt that that freedom in my life. And uh, I remember going home, man, and uh, sitting down for an hour looking at my defects. And I'm not a guy that works on his defects. That's God's job. God, can you help me? See, because a defect is something that's broken within me. I can't fix myself. There's no way. I lack the power, right? I lack the power to fix myself. So I'll let God do it. My sponsor is a guy that's a step guy. He's a a real, real rigid guy, a real guy that, 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 uh, when I was getting sober and when I was new, it wasn't about, uh, suggestions. It just wasn't. If there was nobody making coffee at a meeting like this, he'd yell from the back of the room, Marlon to make the coffee. <laughs> and what I know now is what I didn't know then because I thought he was trying to embarrass me is that I didn't know how to stay sober and he did. Right? And I asked him to sponsor me. And back then, wasn't none of this firing your sponsorship. <laughs> I could imagine myself trying to say, man, I don't want you to sponsor me. He'd be like, that's okay. Right? And whoever I would have sponsoring me would be doing exactly what he told him to do. <laughs> so... But, uh, yeah, he's the type of guy, man, to walk around with his toothpick in his mouth. And I remember him saying, you know, we're working on step seven. And he takes the toothpick out of his mouth and he throws it on the ground. He said, Marlon, step seven. Pick that up. I'm not picking that up, man. You just took that out your mouth. Shit you can do that you just won't do. See, there's a practical application that goes on here. It's a program of action. Step seven is about action. It's about things that I know I can do that I just won't do. Step eight, I make that list, man. How much time do I have? It's a long time to talk. Ten minutes? Oh, that's good. I can't I can't even get this self-obsessed. I make that list, and at the top of that list is my mother. Right? And I'm a guy that's made all of my amends. And the thing about making all your amends is that there's another freedom involved in that, especially with family. My family think I'm like a giant, like a guru, like a, they be having arguments and I got like, my grandmother had nine kids and I got some aunts and uncles that still using, right? And, uh, they come to me with problems, like real life problems and I'm able to use the program on them. And they go, wow, my nephew got wisdom. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, some shit I didn't heard at a meeting. <laughs> Nothing I have up here is original. Nothing. So I go out to my mother, you know, it's Sunday. She's in the kitchen, man. She's uh, frying some chickens, cooking some greens, listening to Al Green, smoking a joint. I say, mom, <laughs> mom, <laughs> I need to talk to you so I don't get loaded again. Some of that AA shit, huh? Yes, mom, some of that AA shit. So I look my I sit my mother down, I look her in the eyes, and I say, I need you to forgive me for the way I thought about you my whole life. She broke down like a baby. Start crying. My mother had been looking for a way out. My mother had been looking for a design for living that works for her baby boy. 
she had no words for hurting me all those years. And then I realized that the amends that we make sometimes are not for me. They may be for the other person to heal. Right? There was a healing process that went on that day with my mother. They called me Papa. My whole life, I've been called Papa. On that day, making amends to my mother, she called me Marlon. I can't remember when my mother ever called me Marlon. Alcoholics Anonymous gave me a mother. I don't know if you know what that feels like. But growing up feeling that like you don't have a mother, that's mom was just totally irresponsible. And uh, from that day to this, my mother has been a mother in my life. I can call her and ask her questions about relationships, anything. It may she may not give me the right answer, <laughs> but I can call her. And uh, I, and it's it's funny because this is at the point in my life where I began to believe in the power of God. I began to believe in a true and living God. I began to believe in the God that they talk about in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Right deep down within every man, woman, and child is the fundamental ideal of God. Therein lies the great reality. Not the great delusion or illusion, the great reality, a true and living God, a God that lives within me, that I believe in today. Alcoholics Anonymous brought me that power, brought me that God. I didn't come in here talking this God talk, let me tell you. What happens as, as you begin to work the process of recovery, God brings you from a place to a place. Think about it. I'm a kid. From Venice, California, which is a ghetto, uh, you guys may be thinking beach when I say that, but oh no, <laughs> not the part of Venice I grew up in. Yes, it is. God has brought me from a place to a place. You couldn't have told me when I got sober I'd be speaking one day in San Diego. Really? Who's going to make that drive? <laughs> For what? But you will surely meet some of us as you trudge this road to happy destiny. The book knew it before I knew it. You see? Me and Sabrina was trudging. <laughs> Driving from L.A. to San Diego. How about that? To carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. See, this is God's world. It ain't mine. God, where you want me to go? San Diego? Here I go. How about that? So I continue on this road of recovery, man. I make these amends, man, and I, and I continue to look at me every day in step 10. I'm always looking at me, man, because, you know, I've mastered resentment. Nobody in this room can make me angry. I don't care what you do to me. Because I got to look at me. You do something to me, and I play a part in that. Ain't that something? You try to tell an alcoholic, a new alcoholic that. There's no way they could see it unless they go through 1 through 12. The steps are in a logical order form to bring me to the place I'm at today, right? Step 11 is the step I grow closer to God in consciousness, sought through prayer and meditation to improve my consciousness. Man, I'm a believer. 26 years ago, you could not have told me that I would believe in God in the way I believe in God today. Right? It's like my grandmother said, that's just Jesus, baby. 
This is just AA, baby. It's a spiritual program. It's a spiritual program. If you're sitting here and you knew and you don't know what spiritual is, you're being as spiritual as you're going to be right now in that back row. Oh, yeah, I see you back there giggling, young man. I was once like you. Not understanding life, not understanding what spiritual was, not really connecting with that power I choose to call God today. But God will bring you from a place to a place without you even realizing it. Don't worry, just hold on. Just hold on. Take this journey. See, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, I carry this message. Some of you may be thinking, oh, that guy gave a great talk. This is not my message. This ain't me. This is what Alcoholics Anonymous has done to me. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, I carry this message. This is the message of Alcoholics Anonymous, not my message. I told you it's a a message of how God has brought me from a place to a place. My whole sobriety. So in closing... I'd just like to say I hope the God that you find here in Alcoholics Anonymous is as good to you as the God that I found here in Alcoholics Anonymous. Thank you guys for allowing me to share. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.